had a car that looked very much like this car. Some of you remember, I had this car. It was a 1992 Pontiac Grand Prix. My dad owned it. It was his work car. He was an outside sales rep, so he drove all over. And somewhere along the line, he switched, and he got a truck. And so I got that car. So I drove that car here, uh, I don't even remember when, a long time ago. But I know I had that car when I was commuting to Canada to go to school. I went, I lived in Bellingham. I drove up to Langley two to three times a week to go to seminary there in uh, Trinity Western. And so you go, and I drove that car, and the engine was great. The transmission was great. The electronics had some problems. And one of the sad things is the driver's side window would no longer roll down. I could do that one. I could do the one behind me. I could do the one behind And not roll down, you know, the button. It just broke and froze up. You know how frustrating that is? And it was a bigger car, so it was a big door. So you go to the drive-thru, and you're like, I would like. And then they, you reach over to get the money and give the... But the most awkward was crossing the border. I crossed the border two or three times a week. And the first time you come up and you open that door, you want to see those border guards wake up? Just come up and open the door. And they're like, oh, hey, whoa, sit, sir. <laughs> and then they got to know me, you know, by the time... Nate and I had classes together. By the time they start to recognize you, and they're like, mm. but initially, you come up and open the door at the crossing. They're gonna, they're gonna move. So they got. I'd have to, you know, open it and hand my paperwork out. So eventually, I thought, you know, maybe I ought to just fix this problem, right? I mean, solve the problem. So we had a guy that w- went here, and he was, I think, the service manager at the the Dodge dealer on on State Street. I think it was a different name at the time. So I went down there. He's like, yeah, talk to a shop guy. He'll tell you what to do. So I'm like, all right, what do I need to do to fix the window on this thing? He's like, well, I don't recommend you do that. So I'm thinking, like, he just wants me to come in and pay the shop fee. He's like, "This, listen, there is a part, and if you take it off wrong, it will cut your finger off. And I wasn't sure if he was being serious. I was like, is he just me- He's like, no, I'm telling you, if you don't know how to do that, this one thing snaps closed and your finger will not come with you. I was like, huh, okay. So to the day I owned that car, I never touched that window. I was, I was, in, I was in seminary. I didn't have any money. So I just continued to come to the door border. <clears throat> but sometimes you need to know the danger. I actually never looked up if he was messing with me, but... Uh, you need to know the danger, right? You think this is, the, this is how you do something. This is how life works. This is what's good. And someone needs to say, yeah, but you need to know this first, right? You need to know this first. You need to know the danger. You need to know the warning. You need to know that if you go and do this thing, uh, something bad's going to happen, right? There's warning. We have warning signs, right? You walk by the place of Walkham Falls Park where they jump in. There's signs, <laughs> shallow rocks. And yet every year... Kids jump off that and bounce off one of those bad boys. Say, don't do that. If you're going to jump off here, you need to know. There's shallow rocks. There's warnings. So we are going to get a warning today. And we need to know the danger so that we can appreciate the solution. Right? Sometimes you don't really know what a good solution it is until you know the danger. Right? I was actually quite content with a car window that didn't roll down when I knew that I could keep all my fingers, okay? I like these. They're helpful. 
So when you know the danger, you can appreciate the solution. And that's where we are in the book of, we're doing a study in the book of Romans. And this book of Romans is one of the most clear definitions of the gospel, the saving power of God, spelled out over numerous chapters. It's the most maybe full or developed, we might say, story, the gospel, the victory of God over sin, the victory that we can have in entering God's righteousness. It's describing the power of God and the victory of God. We saw that last week. We were in these verses here. He said, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greeks, the gospel, the announcement of Jesus Christ, victory over sin and death. He says, that's the salvation message for everyone. So I'm not ashamed of that. I can't wait to tell it to you. I can't wait to get there. He says, for in it, this is what we saw last week, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. That you can be right with God. It's revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. But we cannot fully appreciate the announcement of the gospel, the righteousness of God, the fact that we can trust in him. You cannot appreciate that until you know the danger. Until you know the opposite. Until you know what goes. And so Paul is going to start here in chapter 1, verse 18. And we're really going to get all the way through, most of the way through chapter 3. We're going we're gonna to soak in this danger for a while. What's the flip side? What if, why do we need a gospel? Why was the righteousness of God needing to be revealed by faith. Why is it something we have to receive by faith? Why does it exist at all? What's the danger? And it's a whole lot worse than losing a couple digits. Okay? It's serious. This is a warning. This is, a, this is the, the thing everyone needs to know. This is why there needed to be a gospel. This is why the Lord Jesus needed to come personally and pay for sin. We're going to see that here starting today, and it's going to take us a while to dig in. So we're going to do today... Verses one or chapter one, verses eighteen to twenty-three. It's a warning. It's a you need to know. You need to know what's out there. You need to know the reality of our world. We need to know. So that's what today is. It's that warning. So let's read together one eighteen to twenty-three, and we'll dive in. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God, Or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, and birds, and animals, and creeping things. That's how far we're going to get today. You feeling the way to that? So here's what we're going to see today. God's wrath is revealed because God's revelation is rejected. 
That's their main point today. God's wrath is revealed because God's revelation is rejected. So we're going to walk through these verses here. How about this? Point one, God's wrath is revealed. Who likes that word? Wrath. Wrath. This is right there for the wrath of God. What is that word? It's just what you think it is. There's not a trick definition to that. Wrath. Anger. It's not very popular to talk about wrath of God. We like love of God, grace of God, wrath of God. That's what we're going to talk about today. It means wrathful, anger. And here's what I'm going to argue. Without wrath, you actually don't have God. Right? We want to move on from that. Let's move away from the wrath of God. Let's move away from that. Let's not talk about that anymore. If you take wrath out, you don't have God. You don't have God at all. And uh, you might not realize that, but we actually want that in God. You want that. Let me tell you why. Wrath is rooted in God's love and truth. Right? Here's how you could think about it. Wrath, anger often comes in situations where you deeply love somebody. The opposite would be indifference. That would be the opposite. Yeah, I don't care. Right? The best way might be to think of someone you love, a kid, sibling, parent, and they head down the road of deep drug use, and they're on the street. And they're taking fentanyl and they're just struggling right now. And there's someone you love. Do you have any anger about that? Or are you like, yeah, I don't care. Whatever. It's what they want to do. That's fine with me. It's really. No, it would be horrifying. You would have emotions. You would have anger at whatever friend that was that introduced them to that first thing. You want to smack that kid, right? You want to get that. You would have frustration at whatever corruption allows something like that into our culture. Who's doing that? How's it getting smuggled in? What cartel is making billions of dollars? There's some wrath involved. There's something should be done about this. You're frustrated at your loved one. What are you doing? Don't you know? The opposite would be, yeah, that's fine. Whatever. I don't care. Indifference is the opposite, right? Indifference would be terrible. But for God to have wrath, it means he actually deeply cares. What happens on this earth matters. And when we go outside and away and reject him, there's a response of wrath and anger. And what are you doing? This is terrible. And it's rooted in truth. He's not just flying off the handle. And this is where we have to be careful. Your wrath may not be rooted in truth, right? Your wrath may just be reactionary, right? Right? Come out and find a pattern one of my children carved on the side of my car, right? Ha ha ha! You mean you did that on this car, right? That's my kind of wrath. That's, that shouldn't be, right? I should care about the kid more than the car, right? I won't name my third son's name. But, uh, <laughs> but right, that can be selfish, self-seeking. I'm mad about something. This is about God's rooted in love and truth, what's right. And what's true. And so we don't want to dismiss the wrath of God. You don't want to say that's not real. 
You don't want to think that it's less of God. That actually is a deep part of God rooted in his love, his actual care for humanity in this planet and what's true and what's right. And you take that away, you've got an indifferent, uncaring being that just is going to keep, you know, feeding. No, that's not him. I'll just show you one to get us in. This is just to get us in the mindset of what, when, would, when would God's wrath be talked about? There's a great one here in Exodus 32. God has just delivered the whole nation of Israel out of slavery through Moses. He's led them through the Red Sea with miraculous. He parts the sea. He confuses the Egyptian army. He's leading them in the desert. He's giving them water. He, he feeds them miraculously. He leads into the mountains, calls Moses up. Hey, Moses, I'm going to give you the law. And Moses goes up on the mountain with God, and the people are down below. Exodus 32 says, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what's become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are on the ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. What? This golden calf? Yeah, this is your God. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. That's not like they went and played in the woods. That's like a wild party mess orgy ickiness going on. And the Lord said to Moses, go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, in order that I may make you a great nation, a great nation of you. That would, would God, what, what should God say? Ah, you know, it's fine. Calf, worship me. Yeah, it's all the same thing. Like, no, it isn't the same thing. It's the first thing he told them. Don't make an image. You didn't see a form. Don't make an image. And the first thing, then they get afraid, we better make an image. And let's credit this stupid golden calf with delivering you when really it was God himself and the angel of the Lord working. And so, of course, he's going to be mad. You know, as I said, it has to do with love and with truth. Like suddenly, they're worshiping a calf when it was God himself who delivered them. So he's wrathful. He's angry. He's responding. Now, he doesn't burn them in that moment. But that's a response. I, I want to say that's a right response. He cares. These people, he's personally rescued, and that's where they go. So that's just an instance of the wrath of God rooted in the love and truth of God. So here it's saying that the wrath, back to Romans 1.18, the wrath of God is revealed, is revealed from heaven. The wrath of God is revealed, is being revealed. This is how we need to understand this word in this passage, that it's an ongoing present reality versus a decisive act of judgment. 
So there's moments when God's wrath comes down, like in a moment, boom, this is done. Boom, this is going to happen. Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. Or when he, you know, closed the waters over the Egyptian shoulders. That's an act of judgment. That's a moment. This passage is describing an ongoing present reality. The wrath of God is being revealed. So a, a verb like that in that kind of passive voice means God's the doer. God's wrath is being revealed. It's happening in a present ongoing way. So this is not some moment later in time when the wrath of God's revealed at the return of Christ. This is not some past moment when he did this one thing. It's an ongoing present reality. We need to realize the world that we live in is under the wrath of God. The wrath of God is continually being revealed in the world we live in right now. So that's where we are. God's wrath is revealed in an ongoing present reality. That's what we're talking about here. So let's ask some questions. Why is God's wrath revealed? Like, well, why is he doing this? Why is it happening? What's the danger? Remember, we're, we need to know this so we know why the gospel needed to be proclaimed. So he gives a couple things. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So the wrath of God is revealed against ungodliness. That really means godlessness. Living as if God isn't actually there. You're not real. You're not who you say you are. Therefore, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to do what I want to do. Right? That's ungodliness. I'm going to do what I want to do. It doesn't matter what you say, who you are, where you think. Ungodliness is living as if God does not exist. And unrighteousness is living in evil, wicked sinful choices. It says it's of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So the very act of rebelling suppresses the truth that God is there. So this is a simple illustration. Many of us by our unrighteousness suppress the truth all the time. The speed limit is 55. I'm going to go 70. What's the speed limit? I don't want to know. I'm not going to worry about the truth, right? They even put it on the app, right? If you've got your direction app up, there's a little speed, speed limit sign in the bottom. Like, oh, put that in there. I don't want to know the truth. I want to get there. It says 48 minutes. I'm going to do it in 42 minutes, right? That's a simple, right, that we can, by a willful choice, I'm, I know the speed limit. That's the truth on the sign. It says 55. Like, come on, Oregon. It's still 55 in Oregon all over the place. It's ridiculous. But anyways, come on. Um, you can know the truth, you can drive a different speed, and by so doing, you're suppressing that truth. I don't want to be known, I'm not going to respond to it, it's not going to impact my life, praying there's no state troopers out today, right? That's just the idea. So the wrath of God is revealed, it's an ongoing present reality against our world that says, there's no God I can do what I want. And when there's no God and I do what I want, I suppress the truth that there really is a God and I need to respond to him. So that's what he's talking about. The wrath of God is revealed against godlessness. God, you're not there. You don't exist. I don't have to respond to you. That's what it's against. The wrath of God, it's a present reality continually being revealed when we live as if God's not there and he doesn't have to be followed. Does someone know... Is that fair? Is that fair? 
Have you ever played a game with somebody and you're playing the game and about halfway through they come up with this rule that you didn't know? Oh, well, you can't score right there because of this and this. You're like, what? You, you didn't tell me that from the beginning. And then if you're about to win, actually, uh, if you play two twos, that means you actually go to the end of the line. Like, Wait, was that the rule at the beginning? You just changed the rules. Right? It's no fun. With, so is it fair? Can God's wrath be actively revealed into our world against ungodliness? Well, can people say, I didn't know about God? Well, how do they know? Is, he, is God adding rules once the game already starts? Or should people know? Should people know that God is there? Should people respond to God? Should we know? Should we not know? Is he changing the rules midstream? Is he not? Romans 1.19 says, For what can be known about God is plain to them. So we're living as if God's not there. And he's saying, actually, what can be known about God is plain because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they're without excuse. So this is saying that there is enough revelation in creation that you should know that God is there. Okay, we'll get to how far that goes. But right now he's saying the creation of the world should alert you to the fact that God is powerful, right? His divine nature, that something great has made this, that he's powerful. You should see that in creation. This is what Psalm 19 says. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. When I went out to my vehicle this morning, full moon. This is amazing. And I could see, I remember one constellation besides the Big Dipper from school, Orion, probably because it's kind of like my name. I could see Orion. You could see the shoulder points and the belt. I don't remember any other ones. There it was this morning. It's beautiful. The sky proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. It's not just that it's there. The sky is actually speaking to you. Night to night it reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. There is a constant speaking of the reality of God every day, every night, and it goes into any language. Doesn't matter what language you speak, you can look at the sky. Doesn't matter what language you speak, you can look at the mountains. Doesn't matter what language you speak, you can look at the sunset and go, wow. So I remember, you know, a few years ago, that show, was it called Planet Earth? And Sigourney Weaver was the uh, voiceover, and you just see these amazing parts of the earth and the world. And um, these are humpback whales. I watched that show and was just worshiping God. Last time we were blessed, got to go to Hawaii, we went on a whale-watching adventure. And then uh, there's humpback whales that come down from Alaska, and they give birth in the warm Hawaii waters, and then they swim back up. So they're down there, and they're calving. It's amazing. And they throw a microphone into the water, and then you can hear the whale song. And they said this most interesting thing. They said every year the song changes. They all sing the same song, but it's not the same song as last year. It's a new song. Who teaches them that song? How do they learn that song? Right? We got Pastor Mark the whale up there. He's like, all right, this year, guys. This is our song going down, right? I don't, I don't know. It's unbelievable. 
They sing the same song as each other, but it's not the same song as the year before. That's awesome to me. It's unbelievable to me. The creation speaks of God. The sunset speaks of God. The sky speaks of God. The ocean, the mountains, the trees. It's amazing, right? It's amazing. And he's saying that's enough for you to have looked and said God is there. Something powerful did this, right? That's what he said. You should see his, his, divine, his uh, divine attributes, right? His eternal power. Right, we should be able to see that. I'm saying those wrong. I should look and say I'm right, right? It says we should see his invisible attributes, eternal power, and divine nature. On a more like scientific note, this is the way they would speak of it in, in the scientific debate today. It's called this whole concept of intelligent design. So it's the idea that what we see and find on earth is, is it a result of random series of chance events, or is it a result of an intelligent designer? Now, the, they, don't, they don't go so far as to name God, but that's the discussion out there. Here's an article. This is from intelligentdesign.org. <clears throat> some of you, the pictures of the whales was enough, but some of you are just, listen to this, right? Intelligent design, often called ID, is a scientific theory which holds that some features of the universe and living things are best explained by an intelligent cause rather than an undirected process such as natural selection. ID theorists argue that intelligent design can be inferred by finding in nature the type of information and complexity which in our experience arises from an intelligent cause. In fact, even the laws say... uh, Things go from order to disorder. But what they find in creation is things are highly ordered. It says, proponents of neo-Darwin evolution contend that the information in life arose via blind, mechanistic processes that show no scientific evidence of guidance by an intelligent design. ID proponents contend that the information in life does not appear to have an unguided origin, but arose via purposeful, intelligently guided processes. Both claims are scientifically testable using the standard methods of science. But ID theorists say that when we use the scientific method to explore nature, the evidence points away from blind material causes and reveals intelligent design. The cell confirms our expectations from design. Our DNA contains incredible amounts of encoded information. Living cells transform, now you're not in biology class, but go with me here. Living cells transform this encoded chemical message into machines which are engineered to perform necessary biochemical functions. The conversion of DNA into protein relies upon a software-like system of commands and biochemical codes. This is an information processing system which Bill Gates has described as like a computer program, but far, far more advanced than any software we've ever created. That's just a cell. How many of them are in you? Thousands and thousands and thousands, and they reproduce and do exactly what they're supposed to be. The Nobel Prize-winning physicist Charles Towns observed intelligent design, as one sees it from a scientific point of view, seems to be quite real. This is a very special universe, It's remarkable that it came out just this way. 
the laws of physics weren't just the way they are, we couldn't be here at all. If we were slightly closer to the sun, slightly further from the sun, if the gravitational pull were slightly less or more, any of these factors moved a little bit would not allow life on earth to be sustainable. They're perfectly tuned for human life. Even the atheist cosmologist Fred Hoyle observed, a common sense interpretation of the facts suggests that a super intellect has monkeyed with physics as well as with chemistry and biology. From the teeniest atom to living organisms, the architecture of the entire cosmos, the fabric of nature shows strong evidence of intelligent design. Right? What did he say? <laughs> his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived. It's speaking. It's speaking on a macro level in whales and mountains and suns. It's on a micro level in cell biology. It's just order, design. People today can look and go, this didn't happen. Something made this. Someone did this. His invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. Nope, God did not change the rules mid-flow. Every human that's ever walked this planet has the ability to look up and go, man, that sun's amazing. Wow, those whales are unbelievable. Look at that bird fly. Look at that lion roar. Look at those stars. How do they move? How does this... There's no excuse. You cannot look in, into creation and go, uh, God's there. Now, there's a difference, and we'll get to that later. It's not spe- that's not specific revelation that Jesus is the Son of God born. That's different. This is not talking about that. This is just talking about should people on earth be able to say, I had no idea God was out there. God's answer is no. My thumbprints are everywhere. They're everywhere. You just got to look. So how should we respond? How should humans respond to the fact that God has revealed himself in creation? Here we see it in the opposite way. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. So it's what should happen. This is the response that should happen based on God as creation. God is out there. Honor him. Respect him. Glory in him, right? It's where we get the word for glory. Glory comes from the root word weight. What is most important, most significant. So there should be this general sense, God is unbelievable. God is amazing. God is worthy of my honor and respect. Even if you don't know his name, even if you don't have that, that specific revelation, we can at least go, wow. So we honor him as God and give thanks. Thank you for making me. Thank you that I live on this planet. I saw a unique example of this. Oh, I think it was this last winter we watched this show called Race Across the World. It's like The Amazing Race, but lower budget. And I think it's a UK, it's a UK show. They didn't always edit the language, so I'm not necessarily referring to it. But at one point, I forget which season. Once they basically get a certain amount of money, and they gotta, and, and they can't fly, so they can use trains, buses cars, whatever, to get from one point. At one point, so they were going, I think, from Mexico City to the southern tip of South America. Is that where they were going? I don't remember. One of the things, these, these people on the race, they're in a couple, they went to these people in South America that lived way up in the hills, 
and they lived very simply on the land, and they worked all day, and they took care of their llamas or goats or whatever. I mean, these people probably lived this way for centuries, these families. And they worked all day in their clay oven and made the fire, and they, they baked bread. You know, it was like all day. And before they ate it, they showed <laughs> these, these people living in the hills there. They went outside with these big round loaves of bread, and they held them up to heaven and said, Thank you. Thank you. Now, I don't, they didn't speak of what kind of faith they have. They didn't go in, in, into any of that, but it just jumped out to me. They recognized, I didn't make this ground. I didn't make the wheat seed. I didn't make it grow. God did. I didn't make the sunshine. I didn't cause the rain to happen. God does. And so they just had this basic acknowledgement. They looked up, thanks for the bread that you caused to grow on your earth. It's a basic response to God. He's saying that much should happen. That much should happen. You're there. You're God. I'm not. Right? Versus ungodliness. God's not there. I don't have to pay attention to you. Hey, you're there. And you made me a human. Now that isn't responding to the gospel. I don't want to confuse that. But that is the starting place. God's there. I need to respond to him. I need to be thankful. Right? He could have made me an ant. He made me a human. Right? He could have made me a bug that gets smashed on the window. He made me a human that can know him. And so we can honor him as God and thank him. He said that much. So he said, that's why God's wrath is revealed. God has revealed himself in creation. There's enough there that we should at least know God is there and we should thank him for our very existence. And he said, because people don't. They do not honor him as God nor give thanks. They do not honor him as God nor give thanks. And so that's, that's the root. That's why God's wrath is revealed. Because people he's made reject him, ignore him, say you're not there. Therefore, I don't have to be honor you or even thank you. So, what happens when God's revelation is rejected? What happens when you say, eh, I'm not going to pay attention to you? It says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. When you say God's not there, your thoughts become futile, pointless, right? So look at the two things. It changes your thinking and your heart, right? Your mind and your heart. This isn't your organ, the heart. This is the deep place of yourself, your inner self, your inner you. So both your thoughts and your inner you, you begin to have futile thoughts. Your heart becomes darkened, less responsive to the light, less responsive to God. Something happens to you when you look out on his creation and go, yeah, you're not there. I don't care. This is random. I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm not thankful for my life. I'm not thankful for creation. It starts to change how you think. And you think in ways that are futile. And it changes how you respond. Your heart is darkened. And it's it's, it's claiming to to be wise, you become a fool. It'd be like someone walking around today saying, actually, the earth is still flat. Like, what are you talking about? We have a gazillion satellite images. It's not flat, right? There's no, it's not. But oh no, I'm insisting upon it. It's not, right? It's a foolish thought. It's actually where we get our word moron. That's the original word. You're more like, what do you mean? What do you mean, right? It's clearly round. 
So it's that same thing. God's not there. What are you talking about? His evidence is in every cell in your body. Every molecule of oxygen you breathe is talking about him. Every star that you see. And so when you turn away from that, you actually reduce your capacity to think and feel and respond. And your conclusions go that way. And then you enter into this next step. There's an exchange. I'm going to trade this for that. I'm going to exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. You basically say, I'm trading what it could be like to know the eternal God with all this power and beauty and love who made me. I'm going to trade that for something lesser. You notice it kind of spirals. It's like a reverse creation. Right? God creates birds and fish and animals, and then this peak creation of humanity. Here it goes the other way. You might worship man or birds or animals or reptiles, right? It's like a reverse. I'm going to, instead of creation ascending and humans being the image of God, I'm going to descend in my worship lower and lower. And I think usually just I worship myself. I think that's what our culture is about. Me, what I want to do, my thoughts, my feelings, and it says you're actually exchanging, you're trading, and you're making a bad trade. You're making a bad trade. You're trading what it could be to worship and thank the God who made you for something lesser, and it won't help you. And your thoughts and your ability to respond get less and less. So what happens when God's revelation is rejected? Futile thoughts and dark hearts. That's what happens. And that's where we have seeming brilliant minds come up with theories like, yeah, God's not really there. You're like, are you sure? Have you looked? <laughs> the science tells you he's there. Your eyes tell you he's there. No, he's not there. Right? That's what happens, and you become unresponsive to God. And so it's not that every moment you wake up and lightning bolts zap you until you acknowledge God. It's that you live in a continual state under the wrath of God that the more you don't honor God and don't thank him, the less able you actually are to do it. The less your thinking makes sense, the less your actions make sense, and you make worse decisions and worse thoughts. And so the wrath of God isn't him striking you with lightning. The wrath of God, and we're going to see this a lot next week, is him just saying, okay, go that way. Take your futile thoughts and your rejection of me, and you're just going to run that out. And we'll see what happens next week. But that's why this is a warning, right? That's why this is a warning to us. If you're, you know, we jump ahead to the story. We have the specific, right? This is talking about general revelation. We have the specific revelation of God the Son and Jesus Christ resurrected that we need to respond to. This is just like starting point, right? It starts with dishonor and ungratefulness. I remember once this family we were working with, and they were struggling, and they had some really odd ways of thinking. And I, and I think this in this example, they spell this out. But they moved from a house we knew, and they lived in there. It was a bunch of kids, and there was some poverty and struggle. And they trashed the house, just trashed it. Didn't pay the bills. Total mess. Took thousands of dollars to fix. And then some other gracious Christian landlord came along and said, You can move into my house, and I won't charge you. And I remember thinking, I don't, I don't know about that. But 
okay. And it wasn't long. I remember we visited, and it was being trashed. And it wasn't long till that house was totally trashed. They never paid. It took a big pain to get them out, and it cost thousands and thousands of dollars for him to put his house back together again. And there was just this sense of, like, total dishonor. This person put you in their home, and you had no sense of, wow, this is amazing. There was no sense of gratefulness. You're going to let us stay here? This house is even bigger, and it fits all our kids, and it's in a nice neighborhood. You're going to let us live here? This is unbelievable. How can we thank you? Well, let's clean the bathroom and take out the trash and pay the rent, and that would be thoughtful things. Let's have a continual sense that this is this man's home. How could I honor this man in this home? I'm just going to treat this so carefully. And so when we think, you know, it starts with that. We can get in that mode where we're not, wow, God, you let me live here. On this earth, with these surroundings, in Bellingham, Washington, with amazing sunsets and views of Mount Baker when the smoke goes away. And um, we want to do that. We want to do that. But if we, it's really easy. Maybe some of you here, I don't know all the hearts, have this sense where you're just, you don't have any regard for God and no sense of thankfulness. I want you to realize that is a warning that's putting you on a path to a hard heart and to be unresponsive. I want us to really think about God's showing himself to you. He's revealing himself to you every day and every night. That's what he said in Psalm 19. Day to day, it pours forth speech. Night to night, it reveals knowledge. Every day and every night, God's voice is being spoken. So let's reverse it. Let's honor God, and let's thank him as a starting place. God, you're there. What do you want me to do? God, you're there. Thank you. Thank you. If you are already a follower of Jesus, you have even more fuel for this, right? I honor you as God, and I honor you specifically for coming in in the sun and dying for my sins and rising again and reigning. So we have even more. If you're a follower of Jesus, we have even more to honor him about and to thank him about. But if you don't know the Lord Jesus yet, this is your starting place, just to stop and go, God, you're there. Thank you for this air I just breathed. Thank you for the gravitational pull so I don't fly into space or get crushed on the ground. Thank you for tuning that just right for me. Thank you for the temperature that allows me to live. Thank you for the rain that allows the crops to grow that I eat. Thank you that you cause a seed to grow into an apple that produce more seeds that grows into an apple so that I can eat them. That's a starting place. Because the reverse is true. If you're going to reject God's very presence and be unthankful, your thinking is going to be blocked, your heart is going to be darkened, and you're getting into a place where you're going to get squeezed, and it's going to be harder and harder for you to respond. So this is a warning. This is a danger. This is a, hey, you've got to realize if you're not thankful and you're not honoring God as gone, you are in a dark place. And we'll see next week it gets darker. But if you're willing to turn and acknowledge God and say, hey, you're there, Show yourself to me. Oh, he'll answer that prayer. He will answer that prayer, and we will help you. We will help you show you specifically how God has moved in Jesus Christ. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for a clear warning. This is direct. This is pointed. This is hard. I pray for any in the room now who have a heart of hardness. 
who live as if you're not there and suppress the truth that you're not there by how they live, would you just enter in and shine some light? Would you stop them in their tracks to turn around and acknowledge your existence and thank you? And Lord, I just pray for anyone here who knows you, that we would be filled with honoring you and filled with thankful hearts and constantly, constantly thanking you. We want, we want to glorify you. It's so easy to be distracted and discouraged. Help us to glorify you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to respond today, we'll have people ready to pray for you. If you have questions, if you're thinking, I'm on this track of dishonoring God, I want you not to leave until you deal with that. Start asking questions, asking for prayer. We'd love to help you today. Let's stand and do the very thing we talked about. We want to honor God. Let's thank God. Let's do that together.